Um, the first one is from uh, Amos in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's Amos chapter 9, verses 11 to 15. It's page 925, if you want to follow it in your Bible. Page 925, Amos chapter 9, from verse 11. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and and will rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do all these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord, your God. And then we turn to the New Testament, to John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, page 1064. This is the wedding that uh, Scott was referring to at the beginning of the service. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone... Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let me add my welcome uh, to to Scott. It's uh, lovely to have you here uh, with us tonight. He said, my name's uh, David. Uh, particular welcome. If you're, you're here and you're a guest you're visiting with us, um, it's really lovely to, to have you along at Christ Church tonight. It can seem a strange thing. Uh, you come to a church building and you think you gather with other people and you say words of prayers together and you have your ears filled with music and you read words from an ancient book, a really, really ancient book. It can seem like a strange thing. I want to say it is a really good thing. In the busyness of life, 
in the speed of things that happen, to take an hour out of your week and to come and sit with others and just to pause and think about the big questions of life. What's it all about? Where is life going? What are the things that really matter? It is a good thing to do. So if you're here visiting with us and maybe just beginning to think about some of those things, we're really pleased um, to have you here uh, with us. And as this song is hinting at, what, what stands behind the song we've just listened to is that your life's not an accident. The world is not here by chance. There is a God who made everything. And you can know him. Yeah, you can know him. That's what we're going to think about for uh, a little bit tonight. If you want to um, take hold of one of those Bibles again, turn back to page 924, 925. That reading from the Old Testament, that really, those really ancient words, we'll, we'll start there. Uh, just to say it is warm uh, in the building tonight. And if you do feel a bit hot and would like a drink of water, there's some up at the back. Please, at any point, don't feel awkward. Just, just make your way up there and, and grab a drink. I'm going to say a short prayer, and then we'll look at this part of the Bible together. Um, uh, Lord God, thank you for this evening, for an hour to pause and to think. Thank you for the musicians playing so wonderfully for us and just the space that gives to think for a little bit. And as we look at these words, uh, please would you help us, uh, because you are real, to hear what you're saying in them so that we might understand a bit more about life and you and ourselves. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I don't know how you, you're making sense of life uh, at the moment uh, with all that's going on. Maybe as you, as you look to the future, you know the phrase, I, I don't know whether to laugh or, or cry. I felt that just the other week I got an, a wonderful email from British Gas that said effectively, good news, good news. If you, we have a plan for you and if you commit to it right now, we can guarantee your energy bills for the next year will only be £3,500. It doesn't feel like good news to me. Um, you, so you know that phrase, don't know whether to laugh or cry when you hear that. The world's confused in many ways at the moment and, and confusing. And I guess one of the accusations that gets thrown sometimes at Christianity is that it's just naive. Its message is not really kind of fit for, for life in the real world. And you could feel that reading this last little bit of Amos that, that was read to us. I mean, what use, really, what use are words like these? When you live in a world that has the Ukraine war or school shootings in America or rising costs of living, you think, what difference would that really make in the real world? Amos, he was a preacher, he's a prophet, a spokesperson for God. That's, that's how he's presented. And he's, he's speaking to the people of his own day who, who have not been doing brilliantly. And here at the end, he talks about two things. Um, he, he puts it like this, verse 11, he, he says, in, in that day, and then later he says in verse 13, the days are coming. If you like, he is beginning to speak about a hope for a future. We've all got those kind of hope for futures, and, and Amos is presenting one. Here's a hope for a future. In that day, he means by that, there's going to be a decisive day. That's his message from God. And the days are coming. Here's what's going to follow on. In university terms, if you like, this is the unconditional offer. Here's what's being offered to you. This is what's coming. Or in, in political language, this is the manifesto coming right at the end. If we're in charge, this is what life's going to be like. 
And you read it and think, if you were to go over it again, you think it's a bit far-fetched. At verse 11, I mean, he's, he's speaking in a way that's contextualized for his day. But when he says, I will restore, or God says, I will restore David's fallen shelter so that they may possess the remnant of Edom. Strange to our ears, maybe. But what he's getting at there is, look, David had been a leader who'd rescued people. He's just been a great leader. And Edom, if you like, that was one of the nations around. They were a picture of hostile nations always threatening. And Amos is saying there will be a decisive day in the future. God will provide a leader who will offer peace to everyone. That's what he's saying. And you think, oh yeah, but what about ordinary people like us? Because we, we know the impact of leadership on ordinary people, don't we? A tank of petrol heading north of 100 pounds gas and electric going through the roof. Uh, what's this leadership going to be like? Amos is a bit agricultural. So in verse 13, he, he puts it this way. He, he, he uses this kind of phrase, the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman. The planter will be overtaken by the one treading grapes. You, you, you put it into our equivalent and it would be something like this, like, kind of like, imagine a situation where your cupboards are absolutely ram-jammed full and you find the waitress van at the door and the man's saying, look, mate, can you help me out? We've got too much stuff and we need someone to take it. And, and you say, look, the cupboards are full. And he says, please, can you help me out? Take some of the sushi off my hands. I've got champagne here. There's too much of it. Can you have it? Please help us. That's the day that's being imagined here. And then verse 14 has people returned from exile, eating and drinking in their own homes. Uh, this is saying there's, there's no more exiles, uh, there's no more refugees, there's no more people boarding trains anymore. That's the future that's being uh, uh, presented here. But where Amos pushes it a bit too far is down in verse 15 where he says, I will plant Israel in their land, never again to be uprooted. And the sense of it is, look, this... This long-for future, it won't be fleeting. This will last forever. This is saying if you were to get in on this, it'll last forever. Nothing will stop the joy. Not even death. And you think, whoa there, Amos. That's a bit much. Right, keep that in mind, and let, let me ask you a question just for a moment. Um, what kind of films do you like? Just take a moment, chat to somebody sitting beside you. What kind of film stories do you like? If you've got a free Saturday evening and you're going to watch a film, uh, what would you enjoy watching? Just have a moment to chat to somebody sitting beside you, if they're there, about the films you like. Um, okay, 
good to hear the chat. You can carry on talking about films later if you want, uh, but let me break back uh, in on that uh, for, for a moment. My dad, uh, my dad, he was a good dad, but he thought he was a funny guy, and he used to do occasionally strange things like this. I remember walking into the lounge one time and he was watching a film, and I said, oh, what are you watching? He said, oh, it's the film Alien. Turn the light off and come in and watch it with me. And I was, a bit, I was a bit nervous. I said, is it scary? And he said, no, not really, not really. It was terrifying. It was, it, uh, it was uh, it, yeah, if you know the film at all. I mean, he used to sit there and, and kind of, I remember sitting there and going, Wah! jumping on me like this. But the thing that really bothered me about that film was not so much the creepy monster in it, although that, that wasn't great. It was the end of the film where I didn't think they'd got rid of it. That was the thing that I really didn't like about it. There wasn't a happy ending, so I went off to my bed thinking, it's still out there, and it might be in my wardrobe. Uh, it, could, it could be there. Uh, no happy ending, I hate that. Now, Lord of the Rings, for example, that's different, because that's a film that has sad stuff in it. It has darkness, but the story ends with a wedding. It's a happy ending, I'm much happier with that. What kind of stories do you like? Or here's another question. What kind of story do you think you're in? What kind of story do you think the story of your, your life is? I, I came across uh, an interesting quote from this book during uh, the week I was reading it. The writer is quoting a book by Robin, uh, a man called Robin Schneider where he says this. You know how to categorize Shakespeare's plays, right? If it ends with a wedding, it's a comedy. And if it ends with a funeral, it's a tragedy. And then he goes on like this. It's up in the, the screen for you as well. So we're all living tragedies because we all end the same way. And it isn't with a, it isn't with a wedding. I hadn't realized. In literary terms, comedy and tragedy are, you'll probably know this, I didn't. Comedy and tragedy are not so much uh, jokes or no jokes, no. Uh, they're kind of, in literary terms, uh, it's not so much like that. It's about the arc of the story. So tragedy... There, no matter how good it gets in the middle, it's always going to land on a sad ending. Comedy, no matter how sad it gets in the middle, it's always going to end with a happy ending in some way. Shakespeare, I think, there you go. Look, it works just like that. There's, there's sad faces, smiley faces. Shakespeare, as I understand, 14, uh, 14 comedies, they all end at a wedding. Uh, that, that's the way it works, which makes this book, Amos, and really the whole Bible in some ways, the biggest comedy ever. Because Amos is saying, uh, and the Bible is saying, no matter how dark things get, a happy ending's offered. Abundant life, freedom, and the freedom to enjoy it, which I think is why many people roll their eyes with Christianity and wonder if it's a joke. Because we all know, really, that, that life's a tragedy. It's not comedy. Some even make a kind of art form uh, out of the, the tragedy. The comedian Stuart Lee certainly has uh, a sense of the tragic in his onstage persona. I came across this in one of his uh, stand-up routines. I think we're going to watch a little bit of it, if you can hear it. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, my pitch for the Fitness First advertising account was... <laughs> rejected out of hand, as were all my other <laughs> subsequent attempts. Fitness first. Run. Jump. Swim. Cycle. Die. 
Fitness first. Postponing the inevitable since 1993. <laughs> Fitness first. A series of increasingly futile gestures in the laughing face of mortality. <laughs> Fitness first. Why not book a one-to-one -one session with one of our fully qualified personal trainers? And then die. All Stop. rejected, rejected out of hand. You stopped there. Uh, maybe you come across him. Uh, now, he's kind of funny with it. It's a persona he's putting on. But I think for many, the reason we laugh is because, like all of life, you really don't know whether to laugh or cry. When you begin to think about the big questions in life, and so at some point you think, well, I might as well laugh at it. But we all know the story's heading in one direction. So the Bible's claim feels a bit naive given life in the real world. How can you talk like this, Amos? But here's the thing. To think like that, to think that Amos is being naive would be to misunderstand what he's saying because he understands the, the tragedy of life, the injustice the sorrow of it. He, he's spoken about these things. You, you can read through his book. You read through other parts of the Bible, but you read through his book and you, you see that the way he spoke about the way men mistreat women a long time before any of the hashtag Me Too stuff came on the scene or the tragedy of Sarah Everard's murder. He speaks about the self-indulgent wealthy disregarding the poor a long time before, well, all the talk of at times now food poverty in our country. He'll speak in his book about nations that cruelly attack other nations, almost in a way that would put the, the Russia and Ukraine war in the shadows. And he'll say about all of these things, look, the, the selfish motives that drives them, you, you find them really in everyone. Even in you and me, cruelty, greed, injustice. We, we live for ourselves, ignoring God and his good ways. And his message has been throughout Throughout his book, as God's given a definitive no to that way of living, he will not let us continue to live that way. And that's why life for everyone eventually ends at a funeral, not at a wedding. It's God who's, who's drawn that line. And you might think, well, where's the good news? You, you might think something like this, Luke, uh, Amos being in the Bible, maybe, maybe the thing he's going to say, or maybe the, the way he wants to preach at us is to say what we need is to try harder, to be, be kind of more moral, try and be good, try and be more religious. But he doesn't say that because you read through his book and you'll find it's filled with all sorts of kind of religious people and they're as bad as everyone else. That doesn't seem to be the answer. Now, Amos says, look, the, the problems we have globally and... And personally, they, they just won't be fixed about us trying harder, being uh, religious, trying to be good enough. If he's doing anything, what Amos is saying and what the, the Bible is saying is he's trying to persuade people. We really do seem to be stuck in a tragedy. And every attempt to fix things eventually goes wrong. Every last war gets followed by a, another war. And it's not that we've not made progress over the years. It'd be bonkers to say that. Healthcare, dental care now is much better than 100 years ago. Life is better in all sorts of ways now. I'm glad I live now and not a couple of centuries back. 
But I think what the Bible would say is, look, the, the arc of the story might get lengthened, but it's still heading in the same direction. It's tragedy, not, not comedy. Our only hope, he says, would be if there is a God who'd, who'd come into the world and, and pick up the pieces of our, of our failures, take the consequences, then offer new life to those who'd receive it from him. And if you can get that logic... If you can understand that logic, that we can't fix it, we, we need a God who can fix it, then you'll get what Amos is saying here because in that verse, in verse 11, when he says, in that day, God says, I will restore David's fallen shelter. It's the I will. It's the issue there. That's God's promise. God is saying, one day I'll come. I'll come into the world and I'll pick up the crown of every failed human leader and I'll take it on myself and I'll provide a way for wrongs to be dealt with, for peace to be lasting, and what will follow will be life and freedom in the end. I was once uh, on holiday in France um, uh, with, with Julia before we had my, my wife, that's who Julia is, in case you don't know, not just a random Julia, but I was on holiday in France with, with Julia, my wife, before we had children. I think we came to a small town, it's called Collier, I've never heard of it before, uh, on the Vermilion Coast. But there, there happened to be a wine festival on, the sun was shining, I thought it was great, you paid two euros, and you got, everything's better in France, isn't it, Martine? Yeah, yeah, paid, paid two euros. And you got given a little glass and you could walk around and sample wine. And I thought, this is all right. I remember going up to one stall and uh, they poured me a glass of wine. I have to say, I tasted it and it was the nicest thing I've ever tasted in my life. It probably cost about a pound in France because everything is just amazing there. But I, it, was the, it was the nicest thing I'd ever tasted. And I went to find Julia because she was off somewhere else. And I said, this is, you've got to try this. This is the nicest thing I've ever had. And then because you, you just finish it and you walk around with your glass, get something else, I went to another place and the next, um, the next glass of wine I had was as nice again above that first one I'd had. It was just unbelievable. And I'm not the kind of person who normally does this, but I just said to the person at this little stall, where can I buy this? Can you tell me now where, where I can go to buy this? And she said, oh, there's a, there's a little wine shop from the vineyard just down the street. Head down there and you'll be able to find it. She told me the name of it. And I remember walking down. I walked into the shop. And again, I'm not, I'm not usually like this. I just said to the, the assistant behind the counter, I've just tasted a glass of your wine and it's the nicest thing I've ever had and I want to buy some now. And there was a man there who said, oh, did you really like it? And I said, yeah, it was amazing. He said, I work for the vineyard. I'm really glad that you liked it. And then he said to the assistant, go and get some meats and olives out from the fridge in the back. And he said, if you like that, let me get down some of the other stuff. And you can try all of these as well. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I was driving, so I couldn't have it. But can you imagine? Can you imagine landing in a place like that? in a moment like that, and all this is just brought out before you, and if you can, then you understand what's going on here because Amos, when he's trying to help you picture the offer God is making to you, he puts it like this. New wine will drip from the mountains. You, you get what he's saying. It's a poetic way of putting it. He says, can you believe that? I mean, it would be good, wouldn't it? if life eventually landed somewhere like this, that you could come through even the saddest funeral, 
even your own funeral and find you've come to a wedding with wine like this. That would be comedy, wouldn't it? Life unending with laughter. And Amos says, that's what the Bible says. Amos says, that's what God is offering to you. How could you know? How could you know if that's true? What, what could make you take the step, if you like, with your life and say, I'm going to put my trust in this? I'm going to live my life trusting this. What can make you do that? And bizarrely, the Bible says, come to a wedding and meet someone. That was our second reading. A disciple of Jesus called John recorded at a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And if you didn't know, in the culture of the day, the bridegroom was responsible for providing the wine for the wedding. And these could go on for a few days. And they've run out. Now, in that day, that was a big deal. Because it was a shame culture, and bringing shame like this could result, running out of wine could result in shame for the family, and bringing shame like this could result in, in a lawsuit from disgruntled relatives. Jesus' mum finds out, and she asks him to help, and he seems a bit reluctant at first, but eventually he does help, and there's six large stone water jars that are there. That's what we heard about in the reading, and he, he says, get them filled to the brim. Then he tells the servant, look, draw out some of the wine, take it to the master of the banquet, and when he does, when he's tasted it, it's turned into the best wine possible. And the amount, those, those water jars would hold about 120 liters each, and there's six of them, so you can do the maths. I think I worked it out. That's about 1,000 bottles he's just produced like that. And then you figure out that the wine they'd make in those days, you'd dilute it one to three. So this is 3,000 bottles. And that would be like I was going to a wedding today and the host provides you with 15 bottles of wine just for yourself. These are just for you. Don't share them with anyone. They're all for you. I mean, it's a bit much, isn't it? And you could read that and think, well, fancy that. That's a miracle. If he really is God, is, is this what he wants to tell us, that he can produce wine? Uh, but John doesn't call it a miracle. I don't know if you heard that as it was read for you. He, he calls it, well, here's how he puts it like this. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. He calls it a sign. And a sign's meant to point you somewhere. And you think back to Amos. God promises that one day a rescuing leader would come who could turn life around from tragedy to comedy, from funerals to weddings. How could you spot that one? How could you spot the one who will fill life with wine and laughter? How could you know who to trust if only he gave you a sign? And John says, it's him. He's here. It's Jesus. He is God, come to pick up the crown of every failed leader, to carry the burden for every injustice done, so that we can be forgiven and that trusting him find abundant life and freedom forever. He'll do that in John's gospel. John will tell us by going to the cross for us and giving his life for us. But here with the wine, he gives a sign so that you know it's him. The message of the Bible is life doesn't have to be a tragedy. Receive Jesus and find new life in him. 
I'm going to stop there. Um, but just before, I think the musicians are going to come back up now as well. We're going to sing uh, a final song in a moment. But just to say, I, this book I came across uh, in, in the weekend and been flicking through, it picks up on those themes, divine comedy, uh, human tragedy. If you'd like to, to think a little bit more about this, they're free. A free gift from a Scotsman. No joke. That's comedy, though. You can help yourself uh, to one of those. Or if you think, do you know what? I've got a friend I've just been talking to who would love to read something about that. Do take one. And there's also copies of, of John's account of Jesus' life. If you'd like one of those, just, just pick it up uh, and you can take it away with you. It might be good uh, for you yourself um, to read and think about or to pass on to someone. I'll be around at the end as well. If you wanted to talk some more, uh, you can do. Uh, but the message of the Bible, it always points us in one direction, uh, towards one person, uh, the Lord Jesus. Uh, and this final song uh, that we'll sing together speaks about that name, uh, the name of Jesus. So as the music begins, let's stand and we'll sing together. <laughs>